As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So I just think he's going to age well. I'm getting him right in the prime of his career on this contract. It's a four-year deal. We're doing this for five years, so I'm fine with it. And yeah, so Dak Prescott... Hop on board, buddy. Let's go win some championships. <laughs> Lindsay, how are you processing this? I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, the money Woo. is not crazy for kind of the same reasons that I think the Patrick Mahomes money isn't crazy be- just because of where the NFL is headed. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of mad he's off the board now, though. Uh, so here's my, here's my counter to that, though. You're paying Patrick Mahomes money to Dak Prescott in 2023 and 2024. I mean, this is sticker price stuff. He's going to be, if not the most expensive quarterback in the league during that stretch, then one of the two most expensive quarterbacks in the league during that stretch. You are paying top, top, top dollar for this guy. And if well, you Nate think that's worth top, it, Nate, top, 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 yeah, if you guy. think that, if you think it's, he's worth it, that's that's fine. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and right. I do. I, I, I mean, I brought stats into this. I mean, come on. Like, it's like, I mean, we go eye tests. I mean, anything, anything you put around him, he, he had to go through the Jason Garrett years, and now he's doing what he has to do with Mike McCarthy and what's going on. No matter what happens with him, this guy is infallible. I mean, like, he is just, he raises the bar of everybody. And it's not just like the defenses that he played with last year when he was healthy. It was just like, I, I mean, bottom bottom tier defenses which is fine i know he has nothing to do with that but the fact that they were in games and won some of those games it was truly just Dak. <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna do now because i was not ready for this situation just take justin to fields and get it over with only thing else i got to say is how about them cowboys how about them cowboys indeed all right cowboys fans we're continuing our Athletic Football Show specials here on the About Them Cowboys podcast. We had Nate Tice last week to talk about Dak. So now Robert Mays has a piece up on The Athletic uh, talking about maybe we're overlooking the Cowboys. Not us, but, you know, the national media, the NFL uh, media has been overlooking maybe the Cowboys this offseason. So Robert Mays is here to talk about that on The Athletic Football Show. We're super excited to have him, and it's going to be great. But first... Let me welcome in the best of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys from the Eagle, Kevin KT Turner, and from the Athletic, Father John Mishota. I am Kent Garrison producing. Boys, welcome in. KT, welcome in. It's Mavs playoff time, and uh, Mavs kickoff, or I guess tip-off here in a, an hour or two, but um, I guess there's always Cowboys stuff to talk first. You know? Yeah, there's always Cowboys stuff, even though if you read the great piece from Robert Mays, 
about how the Cowboys have kind of had the limelight stolen from them this offseason by the likes of, oh, is that Aaron Rodgers? Oh, he's in the news. And, uh, oh, hey, look, uh, the Jaguars are signing guys. Uh, oh, Tebow, yeah. So, like, uh, I thought I thought Robert's piece was really good, but I want to go back to a callback to last week's episode where we had Nate Tice on because we brought it up. They had the, the quarterback draft on, on Robert's podcast. And Robert was forced to, to take Nate to task for drafting Dak Prescott number two overall in the draft. And, and I just kind of want to want to ask you about that, Robert, because I thought you did a great job of uh, bringing the content. Were you playing radio or were you really serious about taking Nate to task for taking Dak number two overall? I was just interrogating the choice. I don't think it's a bad choice. And I think if uh, the piece that I wrote uh, near the end, I kind of pointed out that there is a little bit of a vacuum in a po- you know, not post Deshaun Watson world, but with all the stuff going on with Deshaun Watson, I think that the conversation a year ago would have been, and I think near the end of last season, especially when he was playing so well, if you were trading for any young quarterback in the league, the two most valuable guys were Mahomes and Watson, and then there was probably a gap. And obviously Dak wasn't playing everything else, but now when you look at it, with all the uncertainty with Watson, Russell Wilson's 32 years old, and the exercise that we were doing was for the next five years, there is a little bit of a vacuum to be filled. And I can understand why you would say Dak Prescott there. In those considerations, in those conversations, I'm so contract conscious. In the non-quarterback draft we just did, I did a lot of rookie contract guys just because I think that there's a discount to be had. And so that was my surprise. More so in the post-Dak getting paid world, he would still put him up that high. But Nate is of the opinion that Dak is a truly elite quarterback, like a top five guy, no questions asked. And if he is, you can't overpay him. And I think that was Nate's thought process. So to me, it was more about just kind of digging in, figuring out exactly what the layers were, all of that. I completely understand how you could get there because any Cowboys fan on the internet will tell you, I have long been on the Dak is better than you guys think he is train. At the ringer, I wrote, a piece before he signed the contract. It was about a year ago where I said, Dak Prescott wants $35 million a year and he's worth it. And that was a year ago. And that was before he got 40. So I was not that surprised because I think Dak is a really good player. But you know, KT, when you play host, you got to really dig in. You got to get the most out of the people on the show. Yeah, you know the game. I liked what you did there. You had to ask all the good questions Uh, because I think Nate thought he was shocking the world when he did it too. I th- at least I thought he felt that way. Like, I think he kind of knew he was going to surprise you when he did that. But it makes sense. Like, who is the guy now? Because we don't know where Deshaun Watson is. And Aaron Rodgers is too old to be considered in that in that, in that that boat. Like, the Mahomes is really the only clear one. And then you start kind of flipping coins when it comes to who's next in that scenario. Like, maybe hey. – because like, you took Russell at number three, right? Yes, just because I think 32 to 37 in the current NFL is still doable. And it's not that long ago that he was the MVP, I mean, he was the MVP of the league for the first half yeah. of the last season. We don't have to dig that far back in time. But Nate's point was that he doesn't think he's going to age gracefully. I completely understand that point. There's something you could say about every single one of these guys. If you had taken Josh Allen number two, or if I had, I could understand that. I'm much higher on Herbert than a lot of other people are. And that's why we wanted to do it because we felt like there were so many different ways you could take it, so many different things you could touch on. And I think we hit on a lot of those things. When um, when you were looking at your list, Robert, let's say Nate didn't take Dak there. Where was he on your list? Like fifth. So okay. I my, my list is actually, 
I had Rodgers in there just because in my mind it was, all right, if we can get three more MVP adjacent years out of Rodgers and figure out the last two, does that put him a cut above? I actually had, I think I had Josh Allen fourth on my list and ended up taking Herbert over him because you guys know this. When you're doing an exercise like this, sometimes you just stake out guys that you want to talk about and bring up points about, and that's how I was with... That's how I was with Herbert because I just yeah. assumed that Allen would be gone or whatever. So I took Herbert over him because I want, really wanted to talk about Justin Herbert and kind of outline the things I had. But I want to say that my my board, the way that it laid out was it, it was Mahomes one, obviously, Russell Wilson two, Rodgers three, or Josh Allen three, and Rodgers four, and then Herbert or Dak five and Herbert six. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way that I had it. So. I definitely had him up there because for all the reasons we talked about, there just aren't that many guys smack dab in the middle of their prime that you would consider elite quarterbacks because we have this world where the golden age is ending. Breeze, Brady, Manning, Rodgers, I mean, all of those guys in five years certainly will probably be out of the NFL. And there was a vortex from about 2012-ish through 2017 where there were no first-round quarterbacks that ended up hitting. It might have even gone back further than that, honestly. Because remember in 2016 and even in 2017, there was this conversation about Wentz or Dak, Wentz or Dak, Wentz or Dak. And then there was that back and forth about whether Goff and Dak both deserve to get paid. That seems wild now, but that it wasn't that long ago because those were his peers. And his peers in that age range have completely fallen off. So it's almost it's left this void that I think is a really interesting way to think about the position in the NFL. I mean, from the older guys to the Mahomes class, there just aren't that many guys still in there. Let me uh, let me jump in on. The, I read your piece and I and I agree with it. I do think it's funny. I mean, I've been covering the Cowboys for the last ten years, and I can't remember a time where they really were being slept on. You know, it just seems like they're always in the picture, no matter what. Um, but when, as you were writing that, how much consideration did you give into Mike McCarthy being the head coach and how confident are you that Mike <laughs> McCarthy can win big with them? I am not that confident that Mike McCarthy got, let me say this. Mike McCarthy is the reason I am not overly confident that the Cowboys will be very good, but <laughs> I, I do think that for the same, some of the same reasons here, John, you and I have talked about this. I think that he was given a pass for last year, right or wrong. And it's hard to know what it's going to look like because that got hurt. It's, it's so hard to know. And if you look at the numbers over the first few games before Dak got hurt, obviously the raw volume is crazy. He's thrown for 500 yards a game, whatever else. But he's throwing the ball a ton because the defense sucks. So you have to figure out exactly how good the offense was. And when I dug into some of the advanced numbers, the offense was really good when he wasn't getting sacked. And the offensive line theoretically should be better this year or should be healthier. It's fortified in ways it hasn't been in years past. We can get into that if you guys want to. So I just think that the pathways to them being an elite offense, your apprehension about Mike McCarthy withstanding are there. They're absolutely there. So even with McCarthy there, we've seen Kellen Moore coordinate this offense to be a team that finished second in offensive DVOA in 2019. 
So I still think even if there's a hurdle to be cleared that is Mike McCarthy, they can still be a top five offense. And if that is the case, then how excited should we be about them? And should we be less excited than a lot of people were at this time last year when they were getting picked to win 10 games, 12 games? I uh, I want to stay on this McCarthy thing for a minute. I, I don't uh, I really just don't know what Mike McCarthy does around here, to be honest. And I will, you know, full disclosure and the, the listeners of our podcast, I'm a Packers fan. So like uh, Packers fan covering the Cowboys podcast, big deal. But I've seen this up close and I kind of warn people like here are the things you can kind of expect. And I'll be damned if like the first year of McCarthy and we can say the COVID thing, it's a disclaimer or whatever. Right. But like some of the things remain the same, like hypocritical game management. And then like when you're asked about it, it kind of always just never takes responsibility for it, which that seems a little personal coming from me. But like, I do want to have an upgrade in game management coming from Jason Garrett. And you didn't necessarily see that Um, little things like just chaos running on and off the field uh, uh, that were costing them games early on, even before Dak got hurt. And some of those close games, like 12 men on the field, like little things like that, that were happening. And I was kind of warning everyone, like McCarthy didn't always like have it all together. Like I've just never thought that about him (laughs) despite winning all the games and winning the Super Bowl in Green Bay. I just think everyone was so antsy to get Jason Garrett out of town that they might've going into it. Cause man, I took so much crap from people for just warning people about Mike McCarthy that I think like it took like them to watch the year happen to go, Oh man, some of that, is that how it's going to be? And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be like this all the time. And then Dak gets hurt and then the season goes to nothing. People need to be reminded. I think, I think that's the difference in winning 10, 11, 12 games. I think McCarthy has, has a big say in some of that stuff. I think head coaching does matter. And I just don't, I think he does that much. I don't think he adds anything to the to the program. Not anything. That's a that's that's disrespectful. I don't think he adds a lot to the program. Meanwhile, I feel like Sean McVay does add a lot to the program. Um, I feel like I need some I need some more specific examples. But I feel well, I feel like Kyle Shanahan adds a lot to the program. You know, in San Francisco and what they're eventually going to do. Um, so I, I I've got major concerns with McCarthy. I'm kind of. Kind of glad someone else has got my side on this. Maybe I certainly too do too. I mean, I definitely have concerns about it. And it's funny because when they hired him last year or two years ago, God, time is a weird thing now, huh? It feels <laughs> yeah. like it was last year. It was two years ago. I want to say I was in New Orleans in the midst of a, a rough weekend. And I, they, I saw the news that was there for the playoffs. And I saw the news and I just started laughing. And, and not like at Mike McCarthy's expense, but it, I just thought it was hilarious that some people framed it as this thing where it's the Cowboys, right? Like I've been to the star. They have every resource available to them if they want to tap into it. And they could have cast this wide net and chased these big fish. And they really could have swung because there's no salary cap for coaches, guys. You can hire whoever you want if you can get the guy in the building. And they landed on Mike McCarthy. And it's just that rested development thing. Him? Really? Him? And that's where I was. And then I forgot so quickly my reaction to that because it's easy to get intoxicated by the talent on the roster but that's the exact same thing that happened every single year when Jason Garrett was the coach <laughs> so it's almost like i get this temporary amnesia every august when i'm looking at the cowboys being like man the cowboys have a lot of talent 
And then I just forget who's in charge and the fact that they have consistently fallen short of getting the most out of that talent on an annual basis for the last decade. On, on that note, let me just, I want to point out for just Cowboys fans in general, though, this is going to be a really interesting year um, for, on that topic, because even though it's only his first year, we're going to find out a lot about Urban Meyer, who was a guy that mm-hmm. a lot of Cowboys fans were interested in and a, and a guy that if they would have hired him, out of the TV booth last year, let's say he didn't coach with the Raiders, like John Gruden would have been a guy that a lot of people would have been excited about, and that hasn't worked out so well to the point where if that's an epic disaster, he might be out. So this year is going to be really interesting for those like who the Cowboys could have got because being a guy from Detroit, and I've said on here before that my issues with Jason Garrett were, I think Jason Garrett's a fine coach for the Lions, but when you're the Dallas Cowboys, you should be able to get whoever you want. The Lions can't get whoever they want, but the Cowboys can. And so that was always my thing when Garrett would get another year and Garrett would get another year. I, I would always be like, he's not an awful coach. I just don't know that he's good enough of a coach to be the Cowboys head coach. And so I got some of those same feelings still, but I but I just wanted to point out that it's like, we will see this year, a little bit of Urban Meyer. And then again, John Gruden, because those are some names. And then obviously the other one that'll be interesting to watch is Sean Payton with Jameis Winston, see what he does there without Drew Brees for the first year, because that's the other guy that's always mentioned with the Cowboys as being like the it guy. I think that there is definitely a tendency to want them to swing for the fences. And I was one of those people for obvious reasons. It's the Cowboys. Why wouldn't they? All of that. But I can understand the rationale of how you land on Mike McCarthy, especially when you keep killing more to have the second best offense in the NFL in 2019 and then keep the guy who coordinated that offense and to bring in something with head coaching experience, because in your mind, you think we're close. We need somebody that can keep this train on the tracks, that can instantly be competent. That's what's necessary here. You don't need a wholesale change because this team as currently constructed is capable of winning something. I understand how you land there, and I guess that's kind of why I'm still tepidly optimistic about their chances because I do think that Kellen Moore is a pretty good offensive coordinator. I do think they still have a lot of talent. I do think they need a guy that's just not going to actively screw it up. And I guess the question is, does Mike McCarthy actively screw it up? Or is he someone that just can get out of the way of the roster talent that they have, the considerable roster talent on offense that they still have in place right now, even if it's not as good as it was three, four, five years ago? So take yourself back to, to the New Orleans frame of mind uh, when you were there. And how does that compare to when you heard that they were hiring uh, Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator? It makes all its exact same reason. And this is something we've talked about a lot on our show. And we talked about it a lot at the end of last season. I remember talking about it with Barnwell and I've talked about it with Nate. I think that the NFL searches for defensive coaches in uninspiring places because a lot of the teams and a lot of the organizations look at what they have on defense and just say, we just can't be bad. And I think as a general rule, that's not a bad way to approach it especially if you think you can have an elite offense. A top three offense and the 20th best defense in the NFL makes you a contender year after year. And I think that that's actually a smart way to build. But I also think that it leaves a lot of underwhelming results in its wake. Not going for a guy, not trying to find the next Brandon Staley, instead trying to find a guy that's just going to stop the bleeding, I think lowers your ceiling of what you can be defensively. And I think that's exactly what the Cowboys have done. It's what the Raiders did with Gus Bradley. We see it happen all the time. And it's not an overwhelmingly exciting choice because I think I wrote in my piece that Dan Dan Quinn's defenses in Atlanta have been defenses. 
Like that's what they are. Like it's their defenses. They're not overly bad. They're definitely not above average. So if that's what you want, then I guess it's worth chasing. But again, I think that inherently limits your ceiling about what you can be defensively, especially when your talent for the most part is young, unproven, or not very good. Now I know Robert that you uh, love offensive linemen. So I want to put you in the, I asked Nate this question last week, uh, draft night, you've traded down to number 12. You could help out the offensive line. We know, and you wrote in your piece a little bit about Tyron, and everyone knows the deal with him. Would you have gone Micah Parsons there, or would you have gone with Rashawn Slater, who went to the Chargers with the next pick? I probably I would have taken the offensive lineman. I wouldn't take an off-ball linebacker in the top 12 under pretty much any circumstances. I'm curious what he's going to be for them. And I think that's the biggest question about this defense overall is, what does the Micah Parsons pick tell us about their plan for the other two linebackers moving forward what position is he going to play are all three of them they're going to play at the same time is he going to be like anthony barr was early in his career where he's a pass rusher every once in a while how does he play into a pretty anemic pass rush as it currently stands i mean outside of the marcus lawrence and i guess trayvon Diggs, because he played pretty well last like at the end of last season i think there were some flashes that you can get excited about pretty well as a stretch there's some flashes you can get excited about how many other like established pieces are there elsewhere on this defense? We've said I on mean, the on the pod, we said you could literally just get rid of everyone except for those two guys, and and pretty much we'd feel the same <laughs> about well, this. Like those, those think, are the two keepers, and you think that they've thrown enough bodies at linebacker that at least two of them should be solid. You would think. You say that though, John. You say that, but it, that's until Van Der Esch gets hurt three weeks into the season, and then Jalen Smith is starting every play, and we've seen oh, that, might, that does not go extremely when well. When I say when I say that, it might be Micah Parsons and Jabril Cox. I don't know, but you'd think that you get at least a, a Micah Parsons, Keanu Neal, or a Keanu Neal, Leighton Van Der Esch, or you know. Oh, I forgot about Keanu Neal. Oh my God, that's right. He's a linebacker too. Yeah. yeah you'd assume if you have six linebackers, right. you can play two of them at the same time. I mean, yeah, they, it is a total start over reset button on that side of the ball, which who cares? What were you yeah. really hanging on to? I mean, you might as well start over on that side of the ball, even though by the end of the season, they weren't as bad as people think. They were like the 22nd worst defense in the NFL, which again, if Dak doesn't get hurt and they're the third best offense in the league over the entire season, what does the that and the twenty third best defense look like? That yeah. certainly wins you the NFC East. Yeah, that's what I, I can promise if they you could that. Be the 15, if they could have the fifteenth best defense, I think they're they're in the playoffs all day and and doing well. You know, he, oh, if they're fifteenth, I think is the ceiling. If, if right. they have the fifteenth, that, I mean, that's best what I mean. Defense, they're all a contender. They, if they, if they could get to the, the halfway point, I think we'd be fine. I'm not asking. We're not asking for a top five defense here. And at the they, very least, with Dan Quinn, it it appears that. And this is very early, but it it shows the signs of that. They'll be more bought into what he's doing than what Mike Nolan was doing. It was very clear that the players weren't feeling the Mike Nolan being the defensive coordinator. If they felt like that was headed in the right direction, they would have given him another year too. But that had to change. And so I think the feeling is that while the talent isn't, you know, this massive, you know, improvement in the offseason, it was these guys will probably play harder for this guy. And they will be more organized under this guy. So if you can take that improvement that you pointed out, yeah, no one should expect them to be a top 10 defense, but can you get this thing at least to not embarrassing and maybe middle of the pack? Yeah, yeah. no, like, and that's the thing they look like what Robert was saying. They would have 
like been resting guys in week 16 and week 17 because they would have won the division if Dak didn't get hurt. I I truly believe that because I don't think it would have been close. I don't think it would have been a two, maybe a two, like a three game difference in yeah. Washington. Like it it was just it was gonna it was gonna they were gonna end up winning games and then you know Dak gets hurt and that. That happens now. Uh, oh, go ahead, they Robert. weren't out of it as is, were they? I mean, there was a stretch yeah, of like week it. 15 where it <laughs> seemed like they still could have won it. I mean, let alone if you have a top five quarterback back in the lineup. They I love Andy it. Dalton with all my heart, but I, I still think Dak is a bit of an improvement there. They were in it with a Ben DiNucci start and a Garrett Gilbert start. Like that says a lot about the oh, division man. in general. But like I was thinking about like, the offensive line to me – it's kind of what we're talking about. The the key to success for them uh, going into the next year is getting 2.7, 2.8 points per drive and being a quote unquote top five offense and whatever metric you're going to talk about there. And then finding a way to kind of figure it out on the other side. And I'm like, well, if Tyron gets hurt, this is a thing we talk about for years in Cowboy land. What happens when Tyron gets hurt? Well, bad things happen when Tyron gets hurt, obviously. And I was just sitting there like, well, let's just go ahead and get a, get, get a move on this because just go look at it. Tyron misses games every year. It'd be great if he could play 17 more, right? 17 this year. It would be great. It's just not likely. And I start asking immediate questions about what the heck the plan is if Tyron gets hurt. And I know the swing tackle they signed up. Forget his name, the guy from Buffalo. Uh, Time to tackle, listen, Yes, thank you. Um I mean, it's like that's better than just saying okay, Terrence still run out there, or Brandon Knight run out there, but you still have pretty big questions about the offensive line. If one or two injuries happen and games have to be missed, there's something that could hurt your offense very quickly, and that's you get, that's where you get into problems. I just kind of disagreed. They panicked because they were embarrassed about what happened last year and said, we have to go defense. They just made that decision early. I think, and also their fear was taking Rashawn Slater and Tyron Smith and Lyle are healthy all year. And the guy just doesn't oh, see the field say, enough. You and, plug him and, in at left guard. Yeah. You plug him in at left guard and let him have one of the better offensive lines in the league rather than rolling with Connor Williams for yet another year. God, when he I would was, love that. I'm, I mean, I, that's what Connor. I would have done. I'm done with him. I'm done with him. <laughs> I think you plug him in at left guard, and then if Tyron gets hurt, maybe you bump him over because yeah. you can say we have a little bit more depth on the interior. But I also, KT, I understand your concerns, but I, I think that you shouldn't be so dismissive of the, at least it's not Terrence Steele or Brandon Knight because that's been the problem over the last couple of years. It's not just that Tyron is getting hurt. It's that their tackle depth was one of the worst situations in the entire league at that position. So having the second and even investing a fourth round pick in a guy like Josh Ball puts them in a drastically better situation if one of those guys were to go down than they've been in over the last couple of years. Because that's the issue is that it wasn't just the Dak injury last year. It's that the offensive line was also playing really poorly from the beginning of the season because Lyle wasn't in there. So I think that even having a warm body with competence like Tainaseki is an improvement on what their swing tackle situation has been like in the last few years, especially considering the health concerns they have at those spots. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Robert, when you look at the Cowboys, let's 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 rewind, you know, past this year or or this past season. When you look at the Cowboys just since you've been covering the NFL, what what's your overall thought? Like when you think of the Cowboys, what what's What's the one thing that's held them back from success over, I would say, the past 15 years or so when you look at them? I mean, I've only been covering the league for like seven years. So if, I, if I'm thinking about when I've thought about it in a critical way, the first thought that comes to my mind with the Cowboys is missed opportunity mm-hmm. Be, because they had, the great, they had the best contract in the NFL over the last five seasons. What, their failure to take advantage of that Dak Prescott deal to me is what has defined, the, especially the end of Jason Garrett's tenure. And I think if you look at it, Think about that game. They lost to Seattle in Dallas in the wild card round. Did they win that game? They won that game. Yeah. They, and then they, they lost to the Rams. The Rams. Yeah. I was yeah. I was there, and I still don't remember if they won or lost. If that tells you anything about the performances on the field that day in Dallas, it was ran over. It, it was not a good day when they played the Seahawks. That was one of the uglier football games I can remember. That game took the NFL back like 10 years because of the overall play distribution associated with both of those offenses. That's and when so you watch that, it, it was miserable. And for, for both of those teams, to have, Def, to, have, to have Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson and have those offenses run the way that they did it is a crime against the sport. And after that happened and after they lost that year, I remember, again, it was in New Orleans. And I wrote about there's two tears in a row, strangely. And I wrote in it, it was sitting in a cafe in New Orleans, and I wrote about how something needed to change. And they needed to move on in some way and refresh this. And that's when Scott Linehan was fired. And they promoted Kellen Moore. And you look at how much of a difference that made. You go with essentially the same personnel, very similar personnel. I can't remember the timing of the Cooper trade, but most of the same players. You go from what I want to say 24th in offensive DVOA in 2018 with Linehan to second with Kellen Moore in 2019. And I just think there are several of those examples where they hung on to certain aspects of the regime for too long, and that meant that they lost the window. They lost the window where Dak was cheap. To have a top eight, top 10 quarterback on a $700,000 contract and to be the 24th best offense in the NFL with some of the other talent they had, that to me defines what that era in Dallas ended up being. Yeah. Now I remember that that game was so it was like okay, well, why are we trying to play? Like we know Pete Carroll wants to like win this game by a field goal. It's like why are we doing this? And oh, yes, I know why we're doing it. I, mean, I remember that it was a fourth and one or a third and one in the middle of the field too. Or maybe, no, maybe I'm thinking about the Rams game of the next week. Those two games run together for me. This uh, uh, Seahawks that, game was a a field goal fest. Just yeah, Brett Maher ugly, versus Janikowski. I think game. Janikowski got hurt in the game. Isn't that didn't that what what happened? Didn't he pull a I, I quad or right. something like like at halftime and they didn't have a kicker or something? And then this was the stat line. Dak had 226 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And uh Zeke actually ran for 137 yards and a touchdown. So it looks like Zeke uh 
Zeke went no, off. The play, the play of that, that game was, was that Dak run. I think Dak had a rushing touchdown, or he got down at the yeah, one. Yeah, where yeah, he yeah. That was the play of that game. That one. Yeah, that's what Michael Gallup had a uh, had a uh, touchdown in the second quarter. Uh, yeah, it was not not an offensive explosion like you you would see from the Cowboys these days at all. I will I will say this one other thing I'll, I remember vividly about that game though is that there was a lot of juice in the building, and then. I don't know if it was in the first quarter or second quarter, but then Alan Hearns had that really nasty leg injury. Yeah. It was very similar to what Dak had. And man, I mean, I remember when he was on the ground there, like it took the air out of that place. Like it, it took like another series or two before it felt like, you know, both sides were kind of like back into it. That I mean, it's not really an excuse. I just, I remember that vividly from that game. It was such an ugly game. I also think that the one other thing I wanted to say, I think the other thing I think about, I think you mentioned Zeke. I think the Zeke pick is an incredible sliding doors moment for the franchise on like several different levels. It Because you look at the 2016 success, and I think that a good chunk of that was attributed to the running game and what Zeke was. You could have plugged me back there behind that line and I would average 4.6 yards a carry behind that <laughs> offensive line in 2016. Yeah, And if they pick Jalen Ramsey instead of Zeke, he's still on the roster probably. They don't I think commit to this heavy of this run heavy of an approach with a guy they feel like they have to justify after drafting him in the top four. I don't think they certainly don't have to pay him, and they certainly don't have a thirteen point seven million dollar running back on the books as the cap is one hundred eighty five million dollars this year. I think that is another moment. Like Zeke is a good running back; he's been a good running back. But I just think that the opportunity cost of what you could have had there and the impact that it still has on the team building process, the approach that they've taken in the last several years. I think there's so many different aspects to consider with that pick that we don't really talk about anymore. And also, you know, like, I don't want to play the what if game, but that's what it is. That's what it is. Sorry. The, the, Zeke was the number one player on their board that year. There were rumors on draft week, and I just, you know, I don't know how true this is, but you hear enough stuff that they were going to play Jalen Ramsey at safety right off the bat that they didn't think he was a great cornerback. Now, how true or not that really is, but that was like the rumor around draft week. And they had brought in Deion Sanders to like hang out with them and watch him work out and all that stuff. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, I remember that was being, being a big deal. But I go back to that whole year of 2016. Why in the world did you start a preseason game with Tony Romo at that age with that back problem when Tyron Smith wasn't playing in that preseason game in Seattle? Like your starting left tackle is not playing, and then Romo, and why did Romo scramble? Like there's so many things that happen because if if you know if they know Romo is not going to be a part of that team, I kind of think Zeke is not the pick, right? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, they're probably picking a quarterback up there or, or doing something. <laughs> if they know Romo is not going to be a part of that season, like they justified everything, understandably for a one year thing, maybe or a two year thing, maybe um, I say understandably, and I still don't feel great about it, but like the Zeke pick was about Romo. They thought he could help pass protect and not get Romo hit. And then they let Romo play in the preseason. Like, and then he let Romo it's, get hit in the preseason. Yeah. Doesn't and, need to play in the preseason. Like it doesn't need yeah. to happen. So you're right. I like, also think that's why you never, ever, ever think about stuff that way. And I know it's human nature to think about stuff yeah. that way, but it's, you never, ever do that because we're still talking about it now. It's five do. years later. Well, if if the idea was well, this is for Romo, this is a one year thing, and it's still having ramifications years after Tony Romo has retired, that's why you never say this is a short term solution 
or this is for this year, or this is for this version of the, so many different things. I think, especially in the draft, especially in the top five. Well, that's been a very building blocks for a decade. That's what you have to be looking for. Very Micah Parsons, because we all felt like it was a a very short sighted uh, pick. It it felt like, you know, um, feels like offensive line is the bigger long term need for this team. But but I agree. The Zeke pick is is very, you know, that five year period right there. That's just how the Cowboys did business. They they decided that, you know, we can go without having DeMarco Murray. So we're not going to pay him. And we're going to go with Darren McFadden or or Joseph Randall. And then that was a disaster. So then they overpay by going and getting Zeke. Like, we're going to get the best guy we can get. And they did the same thing at wide receiver. You know, they they let Dez go. And they were like, we can get by with guys like Deontay Thompson and Alan Hearns. And then all of a sudden it gets to about uh, middle of the season by week. And it's like, no, we, we can't do this. Trade trade next year's first. We got to get Amari Cooper. Like we have, that's the way that they have gone about things here. That just, that's just part of the DNA of, of the franchise. But John, to look at that 2015 team and say the disaster with our offense is because we didn't have the right running back is just that's insanity to me. <laughs> I mean, it, it's well, the, the, it was I'm looking it at was it right we now. can't protect Tony. That that was what they thought. Oh, and, so you're doing that with a running back though? That's that that to me is just craziness. They they I mean, think about the guys playing quarterback in on that 2015 team. You could have had Jim Brown behind the hogs Washington offensive line. And it still wouldn't have mattered with the way the defenses were going to yeah. play against you. I, I just, that to me is really short sighted misguided way to think about how to boost your running game by, by drafting a running back in the top five. When you we've we're have, how far removed are we, by the way, they finished 10th in rushing DVOA that year with, with those two guys, but you're only at that point, two years removed from DeMarco Murray looking like the best running back in the NFL. I, I just think, mm-hmm. again, it's just, short-sighted well, when you just you, not seeing the forest for the trees there you know looking at y'all's uh, non-quarterback draft that you did this past week robert on the athletic football show the top five players <laughs> two of them so the, the number one player you picked was aaron donald and then chase young and then lindsey jones took tj watt who is a, a obviously a topic of conversation on this show because the cowboys passed on him and took choco charlton and we know how that worked out and then the next pick was Jalen Ramsey and then A.J. Brown, Jair Alexander. So so according to you guys, the Cowboys have passed on two of the top five players in the league basically for the next five years when it comes to players you want to invest your future in and build a team around. I and, think and that's you, you a had, tough you had nobody on this list that were the Cowboys, but you know, you did you did have Dak as number two um on your quarterback list. So, you know, that's in terms of leadership, I would say that's it's probably what you want, but um, I'm not saying the Cowboys aren't stacked with talent. That's not what I'm saying, but I, I am saying that you know they passed on two, uh, let's just say, f- franchise-altering players. And, and the reason this stands out is because they have drafted well on offense and they haven't drafted well on defense, and so that mm-hmm. just makes these stand out even more. And then you add in the mix last year's historically terrible season on defense. And it's just easy to look like, oh, hey, if this one pick would have went this way and this one pick would have went this way, at worst, this is a top 10 defense. And it might be one of the best defenses in the league if you have TJ Watt and Jalen Ramsey on it. But they're, they're a drafting of defense. And this could go all the way through Micah Parsons. There's no guarantee Micah Parsons is a hit. So if they swing and miss on that, you don't have Leighton Van Der Esch because let's say they let him go. Jalen, Ra- I mean, uh, Jalen Smith might not be on the team in another year. Like it just, it keeps compiling to where, and then before you know it, like Demarcus Lawrence ain't getting any younger and they're, and they need young guys at edge rusher. Like 
this defense is, is looking like, I mean, it needs a top elite first round pick to hit so bad and it's needed it for the last five plus years. I mean, I think the TJ Watt thing, uh, that's a dangerous game to play. You could do that with everybody every year. To me, the Jalen Ramsey and Zeke thing is it's not that dangerous of a game to play. When you're picking in the top five, you need premium positions and you need guys that look like perennial all pros at premium positions. That to me is much, much different than missing on TJ Watley in the draft. But I think, and John, I agree with you. And I also feel like some of the mistakes that they've made in investments that they've made, whether it's Zeke or Jalen Smith or whoever, I mean, this team didn't spend 16 cents in free agency this year. It was DeMonte Casey and Keanu O'Neal because one, they didn't have the money to do it. And two, they just don't spend much in free agency typically. And there aren't many reinforcements coming. So the mis- the missteps they've had on the draft night and some of the mistakes they've compounded by investing big time money in some of these non-premium positions has disallowed them from fortifying other areas of the roster. So it just, everything starts piling on top of one another. And that's how you arrive in this position where you're looking at a defense that, I mean, just for the most part is completely devoid of any proven talent. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. Here's what I w- would throw in here, though. Is the NFC, outside, of course, Tampa Bay bringing their whole team back, but let's say something happens with that. Uh, it won't, but I, I don't think it makes sense. But let's say the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers or whatever. I immediately look around the NFC, and outside of maybe like a Julio Jones trade making Seattle a little bit, a little bit better, I go, man, the Cowboys, if things fall together because of how good their offense could be, I sit there and go, they've got a chance to be a top three team in the NFC. I mean, don't you think they're the clear best team in their own division? And how high do you think would you rank them in the NFC? Um, just kind of off the top of your head, off the cusp, uh, off the cuff here, because I kind of look at the NFC and go, it's, it's a little more wide open. Uh, it's a little more unknown than usual, given the Aaron Rodgers kind of wild card thing happening up, up, up there. I like Washington. And so I think my opinion on this is maybe a little bit different than other people would have. I think Washington is got a lot better this offseason. I think they're the most improved team in the league in part because I think going from the worst quarterback play in football, they were dead last and often in passing VOA last year to competence and Ryan Fitzpatrick is an astronomical jump. Even if you have a ceiling with Ryan Fitzpatrick, you can buy. Wait, what is with- that ceiling? What do you think that ceiling is with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Oh, I, that's what I've Let's said. Say- you, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm being okay. serious. You get no 11, 12 wins with Ryan I think Fitzpatrick. They're getting be- I think they're better. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think you get 11 to 12 wins with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, the Dolphins were on the the verge of doing that last year. And I think right now, Washington has significantly better offensive personnel than Miami had last year. And if you look at some of the numbers, he was like a top 10 quarterback, according to most efficiency numbers last year. And his supporting cast in Washington is significantly better than the one he played with last year. The question for me about Washington, I think they're a top 12 offense if it goes well. To me, the question about Washington is going to be, all right, does the defensive regression monster stalk them? Can they somehow stay a top seven to eight unit with some of the additions that they've made, bring in a guy like William Jackson? Is that possible for them? If they can do that and they feel the top half of the league offense, there's no reason that they can't be a 10 and seven team this year, which I think for them at this stage of their trajectory as a franchise is just fine. So I think they're right there with Washington in the division. They could be a little bit better if they have an elite offense. If you look around the rest of the NFC, Tampa's obviously better. Um, Green Bay with Rodgers is obviously better. I think outside of that, the there's a lot of uncertainty. The Ram- I think the Rams are probably better. I think the Rams are 
I'm lower on the Rams than other people are this year just because I think their defense is going to be significantly worse than it was last year. It depends on how much the offense can pick up the slack for that. I think the Niners are better than the Cowboys. I mean, even if, let's say, Trey Lance plays early if Jimmy gets hurt. I just think the overall talent level uh, across that team is better than what they have in Dallas, even if Lance is a little bit of a question mark. But after that, kind of top four teams or so, maybe you throw Seattle right on the verge of that. I think they're a borderline playoff team is what I would probably say. And I don't think they're being talked about like that. You know, it's there's no real reason to have less enthusiasm about the Cowboys offense right now than you would have about the Cowboys offense a year ago at this time. And I think that's why I wrote that piece because none of the principal parts have changed. And we've seen them be explosive and productive under McCarthy, even if you have questions about him. So if we think they can be a top five-ish offense, why aren't they a potential playoff team? And again, that was the entire reason that I was starting to write that because you know, you look at it, I want to say their Vegas over-under is nine, which so the, the sh- people are giving them their due when it comes to that. I think last year it was nine and a half. It, you have to bet a lot of money to get the under right now because I think so many people have bet it. So there's a little bit of a shift there. But to me, it was more about the national perception in the media going from a top eight team and lists and power rankings and all that nonsense to the 18th team, the 20th team. That to me just doesn't compute. There just aren't that many reasons why they're that much worse on paper than they would have been at this time last year. How are they going to cover anybody? Do you think Kelvin Joseph can play? Do you think he'll I, step in and start? I mean, it feels like they just picked a corner. I like Kelvin Joseph. Okay. On tape. I kind of had second round, uh, a feeling on him, but I think I start to go, okay, uh, I don't know if he's going to start like right out the gate. So <laughs> the first snap I watch of Kelvin Joseph will be the first one. So yeah, I, I, I am not in a position to talk about that. We get to a certain point in the draft where I think he was not projected to be like a top 50 pick. And the fact that he ended up being one, it's like, I have now watched Kelvin Joseph and post draft. That's something I'll do when he starts playing. So your guess with Kelvin Joseph is as good as mine at this point. Well, and with that point though, I mean, don't you look at corner? I mean, I look at it this way that it's one of those positions that I think of it as one of the more difficult to transition from college to the pros in terms of having an immediate impact year mm-hmm. one. Like there's just so few, you know, Jalen Ramsey types. I mean, even I'm talking even some of the corners that have went high in the first round. It's, it's rare. Well, Jeff Okuda just, has been a disaster. Right. I mean. Right. So like, I don't know. That's the, my whole thing with Calvin Joseph. And he's only played, I think 16 college games, something like that. 16, 17 college games. So there's just a lot of like, I'm not saying that he can't be a good player. I'm just like, I think expectations need to be, tampered down a little bit and don't be surprised if you see a lot of Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis out there because they're veterans and they feel a little bit more confident with them as opposed to this second round pick who might take some time to kind of get his feet wet. This is all about expectations to me. If your expectations as a Cowboys fan are Micah Parsons and Calvin Joseph coming in and being superstars right away and this defense being good, you're going to be disappointed. I would almost guarantee that you're going to be disappointed. If your expectations are, let's be the 22nd best defense in the NFL and hope we can get enough stops in a given game that our offense can win games 35 to 28, I think you'll be much, much happier with the results because I think that's a realistic and pretty decent world to be living in if you're a Cowboys fan. Robert, what's the band that you've never seen but you need to see before you die? 
Curveball. You see it's nine inch nails. <laughs> I've seen he, nine inch nails. He's seen nine inch nails 24 20, times. 24, yeah, that was the number. You've like, seen Metallica a ton. I've seen, Meta- I've seen Metallica a bunch. So most of the bands that I would really want to see that I haven't gotten a chance to see, I couldn't see, right? Like my answer would like, whatever you could see one band ever, who would it be? It was always Queen. But obviously I can't see Queen. Yeah, I'm rolling uh, them out. No, I mean, well, you, you can. can. You, yeah, can you can with can Adam Queen. Lambert. You wanna, yeah, Adam Lambert oh, yeah, doesn't do it for you as Freddie Mercury. Come on. Count. Yeah. So, so that's why it's tough. I've I've seen most of the bands that I would like really, really want to see. I mean, I you know Tom Petty would have been another one, but no dice there. Oh, I I went to the last show KT with Christina, KT's uh coworker. We went we went spur of the moment last thing because he was gonna be here, and I was like, shoot, we should probably go, right? I'm like, yeah. We we went, and he died like three months later. And we were like so happy. It was incredible. It was such a great show. Joe Walsh opened for him. It was it was greatness. But I don't know because it's all bands that like I I think I, bands I would have loved to have seen again. You know, like I would have loved to have seen Daft Punk again. Yeah, like that was one of the coolest shows I've ever gotten to see when I saw them in two thousand seven. For a long time, it was always man. I wish I had gotten to see Rage Against the Machine. I have several times now. So. For the most part, I've I've done a good job. Here's the thing about me, KT. If there's a show I've wanted to go to, very few things have held me back from going to it. So that's been the nice Dude. part. Is I've made some pretty terribly irresponsible financial decisions in my 20s. And you so live in po- Chicago, hey, to- so you got all the good shows come to you, man. You don't so have that's a nice part, too. Yeah. To the point of going by yourself? Oh, yeah. I go to shows alone all the time. Right, right. All right. Oh, yeah, definitely. What, I, what's, to- what, what are you uh, looking forward to this year? What you got uh, tickets for? We are going to a few different festivals in Chicago. Uh, sadly, Nine Inch Nails is coming, but they're it's on a Sunday, so I don't think that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that might my, be tough. I don't think the producer of my Sunday night podcast would be too thrilled if I was just piecing uh, out for the Nine Inch Nails show. Maybe if maybe if you uh, take him with you, he'll be okay with you, it. We, we should just both go and just skip yeah. the show. We'll just go. So, we'll just do a pod after the after the show in the in the in the Uber. You know. There's I'm skipping that and but then they're going they're coming to uh, Cleveland the week before on a Tuesday night so I think I'm just gonna drive up to Cleveland yeah. on a Tuesday morning and see them uh, just because they're playing two like local shows and then other than that uh, Pitchfork is in Chicago this year and the Pitchfork lineup is actually really fun it's like Phoebe Bridgers and Waxahachie and um, Saint Vincent Saint Vincent mm-hmm. like a lot of just like a lot of artists that are gonna be really enjoyable to see Dogleg is gonna be there. Um, we're doing a thing called Arc Music Festival in Chicago on Labor Day weekend. It's like a house music festival. It's like Eric Prids is going to be there and just like sitting in the grass in Union Park. I'm saying yes to everything. Like after yeah. a year of no live music, I, I'm whatever people want to go to. If I have one other person that's coming, I'm going. I'm too old to go stand places now. Like there's a festival in the fall that's in a little. It's in like an arena or a stadium in the suburbs where some bands are going that I like. I'm not doing that. I have to be able to sit down in the grass if it if I don't have a seat in an actual. You don't place. go to the metro or anything like that. Uh, any of the club shows? In no, Chicago? I'll go to an indoor festival. Yeah. like I'll go to, uh, oh, not an indoor festival. I'll go to an indoor show. I'll go yeah. to the metro. I'll go yeah. to uh, the Riv. I'll go to the Aragon. I'll do all of those. But if it's outside in, a, in any sort of seating situation where I, I cannot sit down, that's no go. I've done uh, so do many gigs anymore. at that House of Blues in Chicago. Great house venue, of, very house underrated. of stairs. House of stairs is what we call it because there's no way to get the equipment in. 
And it's literally like 20 flights of stairs. So to go from the bus to the stage or the dressing room and back, it was 20 flights of stairs. So it was, it was always, always called a house of stairs. Really cool venue, though. We played there on Halloween one year, and we all dressed up in costumes, and it was a, it was a good party. We went, we went out afterward. It was great. As a spectator, it's a great venue. A lot of good yeah. sight lines in that place. There's yeah, not a bad is. seat in the entire house. I've seen some fun shows there. Yeah. But uh, la- last thing I got for you before K- if you guys got anything else, KT, just a little Chicago question. Best Chicago band and best Chicago-based movie. Oh. Band from Chicago, not um, not the band, not the band Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, they don't count. Unless that's your answer. Coming to Dallas. I don't know what time. I would say. I guess Lawrence Arms might be a good answer. Like people, I, yeah. I've always like. Um, did the Smashing Pumpkins count as a Chicago band? Yeah, I guess. But I mean, uh, you know, Billy Corgan still sings for them, right? Sorry. Yeah, yeah they're back. Yeah, they're, they're like, like the original. Smashing Pumpkins I, I think everybody is like doing except stuff. for Darcy's that's like, in, in the band. That's like the like respected band from that time period that I just can't handle because I just can't take Billy Corgan. I don't know why. I can take Billy Corgan the musician. I can't guy. take Bi- Billy Corgan the human. Yeah, if you if you avoid avoid him on Twitter, I think you're good. Is uh, uh is Wilco from Chicago? Yeah, I would go with Wilco. Wilco, is, Wilco is from Chicago. Answer. Kanye West. I was West, never a big maybe. Wilco guy. Oh yeah, if we're doing that, then I think I, yeah, absolutely. I I would say something like Kanye. Um, I my favorite Chicago based movie. And the best Chicago-based movie, I think, objectively, like the best movie is Hoop Dreams because yeah. it's a masterpiece and it's yeah. based in Chicago. Good, good, but good I mean, answer. That's, it, I mean, that's not exactly a fun watch. I think that I've all, I mean, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off is good. Yeah, that's time. what I was going to say. I the answer is Ferris good Bueller's Day Off. Time. That's the answer. Yeah. No, it's because not. It's, it's the answer. Christmas vacation. What? John. Because Ferris Bueller's Day Off is, it feels like a Chicago it, it's movie. A, it's like, like a, a tourist Chicago. video of Chicago. Yeah. 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 That's Calm why down. I like it. Calm down, Kent. This is on the same level of me saying Baby was going to play the Thanksgiving <laughs> halftime show. Not being serious. Baby. Um, sar- sarcasm's on, on hey, a high, that might high happen, level man. right now. If that happens, that's that going to be the greatest happen. moment in podcast history if, if Baby plays the Cowboys halftime show. Yeah, Robert, uh, that's a part of our season predictions. We always do, you know, the Cowboys halftime show. Which with the Cowboys for Thanksgiving, very, yeah, yeah, the Thanksgiving half you can very it's very predictable. It's 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 uh, usually two country acts and then a pop act one year and then two more country acts the next two years and then a female pop act again. We kind of get Charlotte Jones Anderson like we kind of have her her down who she's gonna pick. Um, so yeah, John picked the uh, baby. Um, you, you know who the committee is for this? Charlotte's daughters. Yeah, she just Can't asks pick. her daughters who who's popular, and that's who they get. <laughs> so Can't that's who. That's how I said Dua Lipa uh, might be it. No, or you did Demi, Demi Lovato. Lovato or Demi, Lo- yeah. Demi Lovato. Uh, I did Olivia Rodrigo, but I think Olivia Rodrigo is awesome. So uh, I was listening album. to her for the first time the other day. We I had some friends over on Friday that night. Good man. Isn't we it? were sitting by the fire, and it came on, and I was like, "This is awesome." Yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> very into this because really it good. has. It has like Paramore vibes to it, but it's like yes, it's poppy. Thank you. I I I was really really enjoying it. Dua Lipa is another show I would love to see. Oh, that yeah. was a lot of my, we were lamenting her tour getting canceled because uh, my girlfriend and like one of our friends were, were really excited about going, and that album just is 
amazing top to bottom. I would absolutely love to go see her. Again, I'm in for anything right now. Coachella announced their dates for 2022 today. I will be there. I don't even care who's playing. I'm just ready to be out seeing music and hanging out again. That is all I really want. Exactly. Well, you need to come down to Dallas for a game, maybe. Um, Come down AT&T Stadium and... uh, and have some Cowboys mac and cheese in the press box. You know, do it right. Oh, my favorite part about the, that press box is the candy. I, I, I am a six-year-old child that I've always there. There are times where I'll roll into. It used to be when I was like hungover, but now that I, I'm never hungover anymore. When I would roll into like a a Walgreens or a grocery store or whatever, times where I would just shop like I was an eight-year-old with money, and it's always just candy and crap. And still, when I go to Walgreens, I'll just get a bunch of candy all the time when I'm feeling it. So walking into that place and just having a wall of available candy, I was like, this is it. Like, this is my favorite press box I've ever been in now. It's over. I don't care about the rest of the food. I love the candy wall. And so anytime I can go back there, I'm going to take it. Yeah, no, for their for their questionable front office strategy and head coach selections, they get it right when it comes to food. Yeah, Cowboys <laughs> got it down. And I, I That's would all say that really quite- matters. Yeah, I would say questionable Thanksgiving halftime uh, halftime show selection. Well, that, that's that's here nor there. Everyone can like what well, they like. Until they get the baby, then it's going to be great. Then John wins the bet. So, uh, hey, Robert, thank you for hanging out with us for a little bit, man. I know you're busy. got a lot of crap going on. So, appreciate uh, talking to you, man. I'm happy to do it, guys. It's always good to chat. I, uh, anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm down to do this. Well, we love listening we love listening to your podcast. You know, John wasn't you know too high on it, but he, I think he's come on, come around on it now. I'm just it's hit or around. miss. It's hit or miss. There's some good episodes and some bad ones. We got Wade Phillips tomorrow, so it's going to be a good one. All right, it's always fun to hear Wade. So again, uh, go check hey, out. How we doing? Oh, that was like, that was exactly how he sounded. You got to listen to the episode. Robert's like, "How you doing, Coach?" He's like, "Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How how's you doing?" It was a, it was it sounded like an impression. It's like, no, this is. This is him. Gordon Keith is a a radio guy who does uh I, I think a, or no what is it George Dunham that uh, one's George one of, yeah. yeah one of the musers does a great uh, Wade Phillips as a I still a, it's still a recurring bit on 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 sports radio here is the Wade you impression. guys definitely aren't going to care about this but Nicole Arbach from the Athletic just tweeted that John Shire has officially been named the coach in waiting at Duke and. I just, wow. I can't even, I cannot believe that. I've known John, Sh- I don't know him personally, but I have known of John Shire since I was like eight years old because he was the best player in Illinois prep basketball for like a decade and a half. My buddy was on his AAU team when we were like <laughs> eight years old. And then when he was at Glenbrook North, he was the best high school basketball player, one of the best high school basketball players in the history of Illinois. Like they literally printed his schedule in the paper. When he was a senior, being like, these are the rest of the games you should go if you care about sports. And I saw him play so many times. I saw him score 49 points in a super sectional game once. He was an unbelievable high school player. And the fact that he is now the head coach at Duke or is going to be the head coach at Duke is absolutely wild to me. I've been talking about it with my friends and my brother all day. being like, I never would have imagined 25 years ago that John Shire, who's two days younger than me, two days older than me, is going to be the head coach at Duke. Wow. Yeah, they crazy. are going young. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. Hey, he'll be there 30, 30 years. You get 33 going on 34 is great age. It's prime age. Born, if you're born between August 24th and August 26th of 1987, 
You're going places. It's just like past that area when you have to stop standing at concerts because your back hurts. It's right around that time. It's nothing wrong. With I, we that. we just moved and I'm in a makeshift. I'm in one of our dining chairs at my desk, and I literally have to sit with my legs on my desk because my back is screaming so much. My desk chair hasn't come yet. I, I need it so badly. I'm just not going to be able to walk by the time this is over. Whoa. All right. Well, it's over now. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's over. Robert, thank you. Uh, everyone, of course, uh, if you don't know by now, you're crazy. Go listen to the NFL Show podcast with Robert Mays um, on The Athletic. Do that. And listen to us on About Them Cowboys. Uh, Kent, is there anything I need to do to promote or just wrap it up like always? Anything um, for me? We'll, we'll wrap it up there. I uh, don't know if we'll be back next week because it's um, not a lot going on. But um, we might be back cool. with a guest. If we are back, we'll be back with a guest next week. So stay tuned. Cool, cool. All right. For Father John Mashoda, for our producer Kent Garrison, for Robert Mays. Holy cow, Robert Mays is here. I'm KT. We'll see you on a, the uh, next edition of uh, About Them Cowboys. Bye, everyone. Hey, Kennedy, 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 Kenned